Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Reflux Radio. My name is Sue Stephen, Specialist Nurse for Reflux UK, and today we are interviewing and catching up with three patients who have undergone different types of surgery to treat their reflux symptoms. I'm delighted to also be joined by Nick Boyle, Medical Director and Founder of Reflux UK, and consultant upper gastrointestinal surgeon who diagnosed and treated all three patients. Rupert, Anne and Perrine, who are joining us tonight, all presented with different reflux symptoms, including LPR, laryngopharyngeal reflux, SIBU, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and GORD, gastroesophageal disease. In the UK, only 15% of patients suffering with reflux symptoms go on to have surgery. Reflux UK have undertaken the largest series of Lynx procedures in the country, with Nick having performed over 250 of these. However, we also undertake more traditional surgeries, as appropriate to an individual's needs. It has now been nine years since Nick did the first Lynx surgery in June 2012, and six years since Reflux UK was founded as a specialist clinic with centres across the country. I've met both Anne and Perrine before, so hello and welcome. You're looking both, both looking very well again, and Rupert, who I've not met before. So hello and welcome to our podcast tonight. Really want to say a big thank you to all three of you for participating in our podcast, and we really do appreciate it. So let's start with um, Rupert, um, and if perhaps you could tell us a bit about your reflux history and the symptoms and how they impacted on your quality of life. and what made you come to sort of Reflux UK and um, choose link surgery? Certainly, yeah. Well, my um, my history of uh, reflux, I'm having to think back long and hard now because it's nearly six years since I had the links installed by Nick. And but I can remember that it was it was dreadful. It was twenty years of uh, really bad symptoms that were affecting every part of my life that had ceased to respond to medication. Uh, My work is as a barrister, so going into court particularly sticks in my mind. I was trying to perform constantly with a sore throat, coughing in order to clear away the the sort of rasping effect that it was having on my voice. Uh, And it was something that I really had to do something about. It was uh, meaning that my quality of life was becoming pretty poor. And had you sought any sort of any other advice from any other consultants or doctors or or GP? Yeah, yeah I'd seen uh, I'd seen my GP and also a consultant, and they'd offered me medication. And they said if if it gets too bad, if we go that much further down the line, then there are things that can be done, operations. But at that stage, um, I think the only thing that was really being offered was something I think was called a fundiplication, a Nissen's fundiplication, which sounded pretty tough, putting a, a sort of a U-bend uh, into your esophagus. I didn't like the sound of that at all, thought I would struggle on. But as time went on, um, the medication ceased to work. I was buying more and more over-the-counter medicines like Zantac, and I was just sort of gobbling them like Smarties, just to try and hold everything at bay. Uh, originally when I got it it seemed to be very sensitive to diet and there were things I could cut out and then it would be less bothersome but as time went on everything seemed to be able to kick it off but it was particularly in my world it was stress and it was adrenaline seemed to be the things that would really excite 
uh, my reflux and, um, and make my life pretty miserable. And so how did you come about coming to Reflux UK? Did you look us up on the internet or was it recommendation or? I was in a train going home from work and it got stuck in a field between Otford and Kemsing stations for five hours. And I read every single free newspaper and flyer that was uh, sitting in the, the, the luggage racks trying to pass the time. Eventually, I ran out of things and so broke my uh, my lifelong rule and read the Daily Mail, which somebody had left there. And there was an article. It was a Polish lady, I think, who had been so affected by reflux that she'd gone to the States to have an operation and she was talking up the benefits of the links. And so I immediately started looking it up as soon as I got home. And then found there was um, a surgeon in Exeter who was offering it. But then about uh, three weeks ago, in, in w- when I was on this train, there was a chap called Boyle had started offering it in, uh, in Kent. And lo and behold, I live in Kent. So it was a short walk then to go and find Nick and say, can you help me? You obviously, you'd obviously looked up fundification and you weren't keen on that so did you do quite a lot of research on the Lynx device itself because it was quite new when you had it done wasn't it? It was uh, I, I did as much as I could but there wasn't an awful lot written up on it so I relied upon anecdotal reports I think there was a forum that I managed to find of people who'd had it done but everything seemed so new that there wasn't really enough sort of forward-looking sort of uh stories as to how how things were going to be in the future and I think when I went to see Nick there weren't even five years of results to 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 look at so it was very much taking a leap of faith listening to the way it was described and it just seemed so logical that there was this way of repairing uh, a damage and a weak valve something that seemed quite simple it was striking that nobody had thought of it before but once they had it seemed like a good solution. Yeah. Did Nick recommend that you had different tests to sort of diagnose what was going on or? Yes, uh, the, there were a number of tests. I remember the particular one was to test the quality of my swallow and gag reflex, which involved sticking what felt like a dipstick down my nose and walking around for 24 hours with that linked up to uh, a machine that was measuring when the acid was coming out of my stomach and into my esophagus and working out when it when it was at its most aggressive, when it was likely to be doing the most damage. And by the time I went to see Nick, I was also developing some precancerous cells for Barrett's esophagus. So it was important that I needed to do something pretty sharply so that, that did not develop further. And when um, you saw Nick, I mean, he obviously discussed the pros and cons of link surgery versus fundification. And um, so what you obviously decided you wanted to have the links. And was that just on because you didn't you didn't like the sound of the fundification or? Well, the way um, Nick sold it, one of the ways was to say that this is potentially progressive in that we can put in the links. And if it isn't something that you can get on with we can take it out again because there, he was saying there were some people for whom it just didn't work and they couldn't um, couldn't get on with it. And he said, so we can use the, the links. It may not work so well after five years. It does at the beginning. 
And then if you need to graduate on, you've still got the Nissan's fund application. But if you have that now, that's a one-way street. That, that's, there's any, we can't reverse that one. And how was the actual surgery? How did you cope when you had the surgery? Was it, did you find it really difficult? Initially, there were one or two things that got stuck going down that I couldn't, couldn't manage. Grains of rice seemed to be the uh, particular thing that would get get stuck and then would, would cause a lot of discomfort. But I think that was 48 hours. That, that was all. And, and obviously now you, you say you, you have no reflux symptoms. Or I would say no reflux symptoms. I'd, I'd say it's um, it's working probably ninety seven percent as well as it was when it was first installed. So that yeah, that I, I could bring on reflux if I went out and and really provoked it. But for for the general day to day, I do not. I'm not a sufferer with reflux anymore. And Perrine, I know that you had slightly different surgery. Yeah. And you obviously had slightly different symptoms. So perhaps you can sort of run through your sort of history as well so we can compare. So my symptoms started really during pregnancy, my third pregnancy, and just put it down to pregnancy related. And these continued quite a while afterwards. And I I think after four years, I decided I would go to the gym. I was taking Gaviscon constantly um, and I decided that, or the GP put me onto a meprazole. Um, I continued taking that for a, probably about eighteen months, and I really it was getting me down so much that I asked to be referred, and I was referred to Nicholas for assessment, and yeah, and it went from there really, and it, my life has kind of changed completely now. I have no symptoms whatsoever. Yeah, I think I'm I'm a nurse, so my sleeping patterns. I do a lot of night shifts. My sleeping patterns are all over the place. So I kind of put it down to the strange shift times, to be honest, at the beginning, um, and just lived with the really bad reflux for quite a while. And and when you were prescribed the omeprazole, did that help at all, or was it um, was only, it not helpful? Only for a little while, I'd say. Yeah four months if that but my symptoms I was still getting the constant symptoms of nausea um heartburn indigestion constant um no matter what I ate or drank it would give me these symptoms and what sort of tests did you have did you have very similar tests to Rupert or yeah I had um, a slight test I think what they um one of the tests that I had was for Cebu you'll have to fill in what that means because I've forgotten (laughs) Um, and it showed that I did have the bacteria in my stomach that really that caused SIBU so I was then treated with antibiotics a course of antibiotics for about four weeks and that cleared that up and then we I went through a few other tests so I had the swallowing and drinking test I also had the 24-hour pH study which was with the tube which was very uncomfortable. And also I didn't want to eat or drink anything when I had that in. So obviously my test results didn't show a great deal. Because of that not being as successful as we hoped, I then had the 24-hour pH study with the the capsule that was put inside. And that was when we could identify the 
how bad the reflux was. Yeah, and, and did you find did you find that test was slightly better? Yes, yes. So, Were you aware? Of that? Yeah. So I so that was the Bravo. It was yes, that's right. So I could I I knew it was there. I could kind of feel it was there, but it didn't put me off of eating or drinking. So I was able to continue like my daily life without it really affecting me at all. And then obviously, as a result of those tests, so you were you were offered a two pay fund application, which is sort of not a whole. It's a partial fund application, so they don't wrap the stunner all the way around. Um, and do you know why why you were offered that as opposed to the links surgery? Was that well, I was offered the links as well, but I chose a, chose to go down to the partial fund because I was I couldn't afford to pay private. <laughs> and are you happy with the results that you've had from that? Yeah. So the fair, it was it was quite painful when I came to from surgery, and I would say for ten days afterwards, I was in quite a lot of pain. But I was back to work within two weeks, and continued to heal very quickly after that we did we kind of started with the soft diet to begin with and increased slowly and um, but not not overly soft so I was still trying different textures to begin with um I do I have no reflux symptoms whatsoever now but I do occasionally get the odd bit of food stuck um it tends to be more carbs bread that tend to get stuck a little bit and and lastly, Anne, I know that you've also had um, you had LPR, didn't you? Yes. The laryngopharyngeal reflux. Yes. So perhaps you'd like to tell us about your your symptoms. Right. Well, it's interesting listen, listening to Marine um, and um, Rupert because there's a, obviously the same pattern. Um, mine started about thirty years ago. I have asthma, but I developed this cough and a lot of mucus in my throat. And that just was ongoing and gradually, progressively got worse um, until I coughed every time I had a meal. I couldn't eat. That seemed to trigger it. When I slept, if I laid down, I started to, to cough. And then in the latter years, two or three years ago, um, I would have started to get a really nasty acid reflux and a lot of indigestion and a lot of other those sort of problems. The coughing was just so debilitating because it was a spasmodic type cough. I would cough big coughing episodes when I'd end up choking, just seemed to be full of mucus in my throat. So um, I was quite exhausted. My husband was quite exhausted because he, he used to listen to me at night and Eventually, I would learn to half sleep through it. I just out of sheer uh, survival, but he would wake, and um, and at every meal time it became embarrassing. I would choke people if I was out. People and around me would sort of rush over, um, wanting to to give me, you know, a water or uh, try and help me. So it was just. It just become tedious, uh, harder and harder, and very just very debilitating, really. And when I the last few um, sort of year, two years, I, I couldn't bend down without this horrible acid reflux. I, I couldn't do my my exercises like yoga without getting it. So I would start then the coughing would would pursue. Would, would continue after that so it was it was really it really impacted on my life 
all the time, um, really, um, because I, you know, even old sort of memories that family have of me are always of me coughing. Any video, there's Anne coughing in the background. Um, that's how they knew I was there. Uh, so, yes, it was, um, it wasn't good. And how did you come to come to Reflux UK? Because I know that I think you went to your GP and various yeah, other doctors. Yeah, for... I, I, ha- I, I ended up on the Moprazole um, and um, Gaviscon and I, I just took lived off that for quite a while. In the beginning, it was a little bit helpful. I used to have to sit up in bed, which wasn't, wasn't great, and I'd eventually slide down. And that helped a bit in the beginning too. But I, um, so I ended up, thinking well if I've got to live with this I need I started looking on the internet I thought well perhaps other people have had similar problems to me and I can see if I can find some support group some tips on how to to manage this in my life Um, nobody was prepared to offer any further examinations other than the physical one just looking oh no you well they'd all say well your chest is clear so that's not a problem you know and they would want to refer me to a chest physician I asked once to be referred to ENT and they again just put me on a higher dose of amoprazole you know that was that was kind of where I was and 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 I went onto the internet and um, found this this looked like a support group and I was looking at it, and then suddenly up popped this this window, a uh, little window at the side saying Reflux UK. And I thought, well, what's that? So I clicked on it, and it sent me through to a link to the Reflux UK website. So that's how I find, found Nick, through that. And I know that because you've got LPR, that can sometimes um, be quite difficult to diagnose. So what tests did you have? So um, I had the Bravo capsule and the um, gas and the um, endoscopy, and I had a diary which I kept um, with the machine for twenty four hours. And then I also had, which was quite fascinating, I found the the esophageal manometry where the size of my esophagus was measured, and 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 I could see how my swallowing reflex was performing. Uh, you have to have this tube put down, and you can see it on the camera or how it works, how you're how you're swallowing and how it's entering your, your your stomach. So that was quite interesting. So those were the two kind of main main um, investigations that I I remember. And what made you choose Link's procedure? Did you were you did you consider the fundification as well? Or um, well, Nick told me about it. Um, he suggested that. He thought it would probably be better for me to have the links. He also thought I'd developed, I had developed from the investigations that showed I had a hiatus hernia and he thought he could repair that and um, instill the links device. And he thought that that would, would probably work best. But if the hiatus hernia was very large, then he might not be able to do, he might have to do the, the other surgery but I was really happy to go along with what what he suggested um, for me so it was it was the links as it turned out so I was very happy with that and how did you cope with the surgery yeah I found I was so desperate to to have something to 
to stop this happening in my life. I was just so keen to to try something. So I was I went into it very positively and I had all the information the the what to expect which made a huge difference actually. I'd read it all I knew and when um, Nick suggested that you don't know, have to have a try and have a normal diet from one more or less day one eat your sandwich before you leave the the ward which I did and it was painful I think I think it got kind of worse that third week's end of second third week were the symptoms that difficulty with it lodging in when you were eating I suddenly felt it stuck beet was the difficulty for me not not the grains of rice but the meat and so I had to eat slowly, a bit more mindfully. I've been a slow eater anyway, but I did start to eat much slower, much smaller portions and eat regularly. But I, I could eat absolutely fine normally. And my life has completely changed. I was talking to my husband about this call and he said, you're a different person. You're different because I'm, I, I have proper night's sleeps I can do everything I you know could do before and the coughing I yeah I have asthma so I will cough and that happens but it's 75% better with the coughing and the reflux symptoms themselves have disappeared good so Nick why why would some people be more suitable for a fundiplication and and others for links or other things that you look for when you do do all the tests um well firstly thank you very much to the three of you for joining us today it's very kind it's it's really interesting to hear your stories again because i've not heard them for a long time i mean in many ways to me listening to them there are some clear you know very close similarities between your stories but equally on the other hand some, some big differences as well rupert was one of the pioneers and when we when when he underwent his surgery, it really was you know one of the very first that had been done in the UK, and the uh, evidence that we had at the time regarding how safe and effective it was, and who what the indications were, and who shouldn't have it, and all the rest of it was still was still unknown to a large extent. There had been, of course, data published, but it was still very much in its infancy. So we both took a bit of a plunge. And at the stage, we weren't doing, we weren't implanting links on people with small hiatus, uh, on big hiatus hernias. And, and Rupert, I think you had a small hiatus hernia, didn't you? So, and that's in contrast, of course, to, to, to Anne, because we've learned that you can do it on big hiatus hernias. And hers was much larger. And actually, there is some evidence, not necessarily strong evidence, but some evidence that actually it can be more durable. The links can be more durable than the fundification operations in big hiatus hernias. So that was why we thought with, with Anne that it could actually, the links would be a better procedure for her. In terms of Perrine's experience, the reason, one of the, the reason that we did a, a partial fundification on her was was I think because your motility was a bit poor, wasn't it, if I remember yes. rightly. Yes. And when we did the monometry, that uh, suggested that there was a risk when you swallowed your esophagus might not be strong enough to open and separate the, 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 the beads, the magnets in the Lynx device, and that might make it difficult for you to swallow. So we did a, um, a partial fundification on you on the basis that, that probably would be less likely to cause swallowing difficulties afterwards. So I think, you know, you, you all had very different symptoms as well. You know, I mean, um, 
Rupert's was a bit of a mixture. You had the throat symptoms, but you also had the, the heartburn and the ingestion stuff. Perrine was more the heartburn and classical regurgitation and getting acid and stuff in your mouth, which is, the, you know, the classical ones. And and um, and Anne, you were the, the throat symptoms and the cough. And you're the type of person who gets mm-hmm. told for years and years and years that there's nothing that can be done about it. We don't know what the cause of it is and, and, and tend to get into this cycle of frustration more. So I think that's a long-winded way of saying, to answering Sue's questions, which is that the indications have changed. We would now, perhaps initially, we wouldn't have offered somebody with LPR uh, like Anne. We wouldn't necessarily have offered them links in the early days because we didn't know it would work. We've got more and more confident as evidence has been published that it will. So we would be far more you know, confident that we'd be able to help people with throat symptoms. In fact, there was a paper published just just last week, which looked at the results of all the anti-reflux surgery publications, which showed quite clearly that it will help people who've got LPR symptoms. And yet it still seems to be a mystery to an awful lot of doctors. And they recommend that more often than not, that they won't even think about offering surgery. But I think that, that, that for me, the big thing is here having access to all the tests. So if you do one test and it doesn't give you the result that you're expecting, then you've still got other opportunities to, to chase down the diagnosis and, and, and get to the point where you can do something about it. So I think having uh, access to all the tests is really important. And then being able to offer you know, options for treating different people. So you know, the links was right for Rupert and Anne, but it wasn't right for Corrine. And you know, you've got to be able to offer everybody uh, offer patients all the options and not just say one or the other and sadly we still are in a situation in the UK where the NHS will not pay for links mostly where most people therefore are offered just one type of fundification and most people don't get access to all the tests as well which very often means that you know surgery never even gets offered and I would say finally because it's a bit of a long spiel but the the final thing to say is that Sadly, from that perspective, the situation is no different than when Rupert had his surgery. I mean, I got interested in treating people with this problem because I could just see that there were so many people who had had these problems who didn't seem to get resolution of their symptoms. And at that stage, there was about 1% of people who could benefit from surgery actually were offered it in the UK. And that's still the same now. So the vast majority of people who were like you who had reflux really affecting their lives only one percent get get the opportunity to get surgery 99 percent never get offered it never get it and that's what our mission is to try to to change that and it's still you said just now it's still the same now than it was five years ago that percentage which is quite staggering really that, yeah i mean the know, number the number nothing's really moved forward well i would say it's gone back if anything because uh, the number of fundifications has gone down because as people, I mean, the, the point is as well that, you know, what, we, what we've what we learned from uh, internationally published evidence is that when people are undergo assessment and treatment in specialist centres by teams of doctors working together and nurses working together and they get access to all the right tests and then they get offered the right surgery by people who do a lot of it, the outcomes in fundification can be really good. But sadly, there are two, there's still far too many people who don't get that. They still get surgery by people who do half a dozen operations a year um, or don't get the right tests. And so they don't get the right operation. And I think the second thing is that's happened is that people are just more and more savvy. I mean, I think all three of you came to 
your decision as to where you wanted to be treated and what you wanted to have done, partly by reading stuff, uh, you know, in, in, well, in Rupert's case in the Daily Mail, but but the rest of you, you know, online. And I think people are just much more savvy they, mm. today. They get much more information. And, you know, I'm sure, and you'll tell me, I, I, I don't have anything to do with it, but I'm sure if you read that forum, there are an awful lot of people who will be telling you about the potential problems that they've had after fundification. And when people read that, they don't particularly fancy it. And so actually, you know, in the Western world, as people have got more informed and more educated about, you know, their symptoms and how they can be treated, what the options are, less and less want to opt for fundification because of the perceived problems that, that can occur afterwards. So the number of people actually getting treated, is, you know, with surgery has gone down rather than up. And so how long do, do we know yet? I presume we don't really know how, how long these procedures will last, or is that just an unquantifiable thing and everybody's a different... Um... Well, it, it, you see, um, that's really interesting because when... when uh, I mean, I can't remember what I said to you. Is it six years? I can't remember what I said yesterday, let alone six years ago. So, Rupert, I guess when we talked, I would have said to you, I don't know what the outcomes are. And I don't know how durable it's going to be. I, I presume that's what I said to you, because at the time, frankly, we, we didn't. And there were a lot of people who were saying, well, we, we don't know, so we shouldn't be doing it. But of course, if you don't do it, you never will, man. I, Rupert, what I'm did saying, we say? I, I can't remember. The, the, what did we say? You know, I, I remember, because you, you were, you, you were a, an advocate for four links, and you wanted there to be generally, quite quickly, take up amongst surgeons, and you wanted the... National Institute for Clinical Excellence to accept that this was ultimately a money-saving um, procedure, but that there was so little data at that time, and I think the manufacturers still had to recoup a lot of research and development costs that that was just rejected on grounds of of price alone. So for for me to hear you say six years later that we're no further forward is uh, depressing because I. I I think is unarguable that there's that many people out there suffering who are going to cause the NHS so many difficulties if you don't get them treated properly and permanently that uh, I would have hoped that by now the uh, the policymakers would have seen the wisdom of more procedures being performed. Well, and, and you're right. And of course, in the United States, I mean, worldwide, the number of patients who've had links is now about 40 odd thousand people. So, you know, it, it, it has taken off massively, it, you know, in the United States, whereas in the UK, because most patients still, you know, get their treatment through the NHS and, and it's still not universally provided by the NHS, that's the case. It's still, it's still relatively small numbers. But, but what we do know, we are much further forward because there's so much data has been published. There's more than 100 scientific papers have been published. There was a 10-year data and we know that you know, 10 years after the operation, it, it, you know, it's pretty effective. So it's not 100%, but probably 70 odd percent of people will still not be needing PPIs 10 years afterwards. So, you know, that is is pretty good. And and we know that the, the worries that some people had around the device potentially eroding through the wall of the esophagus, that just doesn't seem to be a problem. It occurs, but only really very rarely, which is obviously really reassuring as well. So I think we've just we've got much more data. And, and it seems extraordinary to me that we're still, you know, 13 years after introduction of the device, it's still 
it's still not universally applied in the UK. But but I think the conversation is a much bigger one. The, the conversation really is about how to treat people with this problem properly. And links is just part of it. You know, it's the whole diagnostic test. It's all set up. It's making the right decisions and it's doing the right operation properly. And it doesn't matter what it, which the operation is, it's, um, you know, links is just part of it. Really. Yes, because I mean, links, as you said earlier on, is not for everyone as Perina's testament to. So it's, as you say, it's doing an individual, getting individual surgeries and individual treatments for, you know, for people. But what so... would you guys say? What would you guys say? I mean... I mean, if you if you were confronted by somebody in your situation, what would you say to them? What are the lessons that you've learned? I mean, putting aside, you know, what we've done between us, but you know, just generally, what would you say the lessons are? Well, I I I think because I kept on chasing and chasing for my GP, I w- I was the one that, that had to chase the GP to be referred as well. So it's always just if you feel that you need to be seen or referred or have further testing, just go for it. Just try and push and push until you are seen and you have got a diagnosis because I knew there was something else wrong that, you know, with my reflux and it wasn't just, and the omeprazole didn't cover it. So I knew I need, I couldn't live off of the omeprazole for the rest of my life. So I needed to, for me, I had to push to be seen by yourselves we we had so many investigations and we got the diagnosis and I got the treatment that I I needed and just now it shows you that you know I've I've had no symptoms since having the operation and my lifestyle has changed completely and and Anne what 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 would you say the lessons that you would say to somebody today yes I, I I think the lessons are is that there's there is treatment and so you you don't need to just put up with having having these symptoms for your entire life and that that there's something that can cure and and and, and like Corinne said you you have to push you you have to find alternatives in my in my case there was never any question that anybody was going to refer me on in the NHS it was a big hurdle um, a big hurdle and I just you know in the end you, you think well it's got to be you you know you've got to try and live with this and and that's the wrong that's the wrong approach because it's such a shame that other people can't get the sort of treatment they need have those very important investigations nothing like that was ever offered to me um, and there was no investigations offered to me so yes it's that it's it's looking, looking yourself, you know, and and taking your, you know, taking it into your own hands and and finding out um, and trying to persevere because I think the NHS has got its limitations, you know, it's finite resource and 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 I think our type of, you know, the patients we are are right down the bottom. Um, they, they they're not up there. It's not um, incredibly life threatening, and so we're kind of pushed aside a bit so yeah I, I i agree with perrine you we have to just push and look you know to initiate things yourself if necessary so i mean Rupert, what have you have you got any uh, additional thoughts well you you've sent a number of people my way who've been humming and hawing about whether they should have it done and it's all I can say to them, almost to the sort of zeal of a convert, is you, know, you should have seen me before and see me now because 
what I'm hearing from Anne and Perrine as well is that life doesn't have to be uh, as miserable as it was getting. And in my case, it, it wasn't sudden onset like Perrine. It was it was a progressive thing. So I didn't even realise how bad it had got. It just it had become a, another part of my life. It was it was a, just a demon that lived with me all the time. Uh, and so I would say to people, you you don't have to suffer. But like Anne and Prina said, you might have to work hard to get to the the end game if you've got a, a reluctant GP or consultants who aren't listening. Uh, and you just hope that the, the word gets out there, that there, is, that there are these operations and that there is an organisation that will, will pick you up and take you on. I mean, I, I was in this so early that I don't think Reflux UK existed when, uh, when I came to you. No. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted that you, you'll bring it all together in, in the hope of getting the message out there. Well, it's partly, it's partly about um, trying to sort of consolidate the expertise and get people working with other clinicians so that we, you know, we make the right decisions. But it is also about education, which is partly why we're doing this podcast, because hopefully other people will listen to it and take that key message, which is that, you know, you are the best you know, the, 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 the best person to look after your own interests is yourself, ultimately. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I think, particularly in today's world, uh, the NHS is under a great deal of pressure and the whole healthcare system is under a great deal of pressure. And, and so, you know, I've seen so many people who will go and see their, their doctor with symptoms like yours and they might get be sent to have an endoscopy, which is essentially to make sure you haven't got cancer. And having been told you haven't got cancer, then usually the universal treatment is we'll take some PPIs. And if that doesn't work, take a high dose of PPIs. And if that doesn't work, well, there's nothing more I'm going to do about it. And I, and I think that's just too all too often. So we need to educate patients, but we also really do need to educate doctors and, and nurses as well. That you know that there are there are alternatives to um, to just um, you know saying there's nothing we can do. Thank you very much for for joining us. Unless, uh, does anybody else have any other? I mean, do you, do you have any anything else that you'd like to uh, to add? Thank you very very much for participating. It's been really good. It's been really nice listening to all your um, stories and. Uh...